Have you ever met the connector? Well, he ponders, he helps, he creates, he writes, he speaks. He basically connects people and brings them together. I speak about Paul Solano of PS and All Marketing Group. At psandallmarketinggroup.com, you will receive an assembled group of Paul's contacts and connections that cross into many sectors of life. Please contact Paul Solano at 617-240-4130 or psandallmarketinggroup at gmail.com if you are in the market for a wide array of services. Again, please contact The Connecta, Paul Solano at 617-240-4130 or psandallmarketinggroup at gmail.com with any questions. And now... Here's Paul Solano, the host of Paul Ponders. Welcome to Paul Ponders. My name is Paul Solano of PS and All Marketing Group, and I may be reached via email at paul at paulponders.com. Thank you for joining me for my foray into podcasting. It is great to be collaborating with my friend and associate, Chalonzo Amos of PodPro Entertainment, to bring you some fun, exciting, and informative podcasts. For many years, I've been referred to as the connector, or in greater Boston circles, as the connector. With psandallmarketinggroup.com, I've created a side gate to connect you and get things done. Please sit back and relax and listen to today's podcast. If you are driving or operating heavy machinery and just listening, then please just listen and stay focused on your task at hand. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy my ponderings. Let hashtag Paul Ponders begin. Greetings, everyone. How is everyone doing today? Thank you for joining me on another episode of Paul Ponders. Hashtag Paul Ponders. All part of the PS and All Marketing Group, and of course, Pod Pro Entertainment with Techie Talonzo in the studio joining us today behind the scenes. I just want to thank everyone for really just stopping me in the streets. I know I say it all the time. People really do stop me in the streets. They stop me at Pearl Street. They stop me at the supermarket and they say, Paul, we heard that recent podcast. That was really great. You're doing a great job. You have some really fun and exciting guests on your shows. And I say thank you. I really have a broad network. As you've heard, I'm the connector. And I want to thank you for making it happen just by subscribing. I want to thank everyone who's been rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our various podcasts. I believe we're on number umpteen. That's a good number. Thank you again. And Pod Pro Entertainment rocks. They really do. It's the new radio. It really is. This episode that we're about to launch is, in fact, going to be a great episode because we have a very special guest who has been active in the Malden community, and he's been active in the theater circles. He's been active in tour guide circles. A really super guy who I've come to know through his wife, who is a city councilor in Malden, and her name is Amanda Linehan. Their daughter, Georgia, very nice young lady, and I've come to know Mark Linehan as our guest for this episode of Paul Pondas. Mark, welcome. Paul, thank you so much for having me. It's a thrill to be here. 
Well, it's really great to have you here. And really, it's it's great whenever I see you, Amanda, and Georgia uh, around town, around at the restaurant and all. We always have so many engaging chats because of the fact that you're a very interesting individual. <laughs> Thank you. We bump into each other all the time because where else would we go but Pearl Street? Ah, it is, you know, I mean, I, I feel very strongly, you know, especially in this day and age when it's so important, again, to be connecting with people. It's so important to be connecting with your neighborhood spots. And I mean, Pearl Street really is our neighborhood watering hole. And it doesn't hurt that you have the best prime rib I've ever had. So I will always be haunting your door, Paul, whether you want it or not. <laughs> Thank you. And that's very kind to of you and all. So I, I get to know our guests, and, and we play the Natick genealogy, Flutieville genealogy. So I, <laughs> I found out that you grew up in Natick, in we Flutieville. Did, yeah, yeah both, both Amanda and I grew up in Natick all our lives. Uh, so yeah, that's where I spent the first 20 years of my life was in Natick. We met and started dating at Natick High School. We were three years apart, and then she went to George Washington University in D.C. And then when I graduated, I went to Emerson College here in downtown Boston. And then after I graduated from college, we got married. We lived in Somerville for a few years, and then we moved to Malden in 2011. That is fabulous. This episode, and we could do multiple episodes on your illustrious career in many capacities, <laughs> oh, really, seriously. You. But anyways... I was so intrigued being a history major from Boston College. I was so intrigued by the fact that you are a tour guide on the Freedom Trail. If you want to tell our listeners about what you do as a tour guide on the Freedom Trail. Well, so I have been actually this month coming up will be my 10 year anniversary on the Freedom Trail. I started in May of 2013. And I had always been very passionate about history. I think I, I got that from my father. He was, you know, the dad who would pull over for every plaque, you know, have to read every sign, you know, <laughs> like stop the car, I saw a plaque. He just infused this passion about history. When I first graduated from Emerson and I was working as an actor locally, my survival job was I was a substitute teacher at Somerville High School. I was there for about six years. When I was there, I was encouraged to get licensed, to become a licensed teacher just in case, as my colleagues at the high school said, just in case the acting doesn't work out and you need a fallback profession, why don't you try teaching? And teaching was something that I had considered, but the acting was working out fine. I didn't need a fallback job, but I still wanted to respect them and say, okay, if you think I should get a license, I will. So in 20, I think it was actually 2011 as well, I became a licensed high school history teacher, but there's really no money in being a substitute teacher. So eventually it was just kind of unsustainable and I was looking for a new job and I was doing a show downtown in 2013 and one of the other women in the show was like, hey, I work for the Freedom Trail Foundation and we're looking for one more guide to fill the season. Have you ever thought about being like a costumed tour guide? And it just clicked. And I went in and interviewed with them and they said, okay, so we get two kinds of people who apply for this job. We either get history nerds who are nervous and not great with people, or we get actors who aren't great at their history. Which one are you? And I said, I'm a licensed high school history teacher and a union actor. And they said, done. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I started as a costume tour guide and I did that for six and a half years. And then I left that job uh, in November of 2019 and then COVID happened. And then I started working for Cambridge Historical Tours two years ago. 
And so I, I just play me. I don't play a character anymore. You won't see me in costume. You won't see me in britches or a tricorn hat anymore. Yeah, it's uh, our tours. We just take people up and down the Freedom Trail, showing off Boston, telling them about the history of Boston. It's so much fun because there is so much to talk about in the 400 plus year history of Boston. Whatever people are interested in, you can find some angle for it. It's amazing finding all the different connections that there are on the Freedom Trail. Anytime I'm doing a tour, I always ask people where they're from. And it's stunning how many places people will say they're from somewhere and they're like, sure, there's no connection to me on the freedom trail and i'll be like you you'd be surprised you'd be surprised how much of the world is connected to boston so you know i show off the greatest city in the world to people from all over the world and it's a fantastic fantastic way to make a living now what are some of the characters you have played in the past when you were in costume so my primary character was I played a man named Thomas Hutchinson III. Now, for all you history nerds out there, he would have gone by Thomas Hutchinson Jr. until his father died, and then he would have gone by Sr. So you won't find a letter signed by Thomas Hutchinson III. But for from our perspective, for history's sake, I say I was number three so that when you're Googling him, you're not confused which one he is. But when I, when I was hired by the Freedom Trail Foundation, they didn't have any loyalists they didn't have anyone who was pro-British. I like to be a pain in the neck. So I was like, oh, wait, you don't have it. You don't have anyone to argue with all these patriots you have running around. But the reason why I actually picked him was what they told me to do when I got hired there was they said, learn all the spots, learn all the events, learn all the details, and then pick a character based on something that stuck out to you. When I was reading up about the Boston Massacre, you know, which, you know, growing up in the Boston area, you're familiar with it, but in order to tell the story accurately, you know, you have to be covering all the details. And I'm looking up the Boston Massacre, and there's this central character, Lieutenant Governor Thomas Hutchinson, and I'm like, I've never heard of him. And then I'm reading up on the Boston Tea Party and the central figure is Royal Governor Thomas Hutchinson. And I'm thinking, uh, I've never heard of him. And then you're reading about the Stamp Act and whose house is destroyed during the Stamp Act riots. It's Lieutenant Governor Thomas Hutchinson. And I'm like, why is this guy in the middle of every single event? And I have never heard of him because he was considered like one of the most notorious loyalists in America. He was banished to England and we erased him. We thoroughly erased him. We... I mean, he had towns named after him. There used to be a Hutchinson, Massachusetts, and we changed the name. We erased it. There was Hutchinson Street. His properties were seized. He was thoroughly deleted. They even seized the Hutchinson family tomb. It's up in Copps Hill Bearing Ground. And they seized it. They emptied the tomb. There were like five or six generations of Hutchinsons in there. They just got rid of them. And then they carved over the name and they gave it to someone else. They gave it to a son of liberty and said, that's your tomb now. And we only discovered that it was the lost Hutchinson tomb, like, I don't know, some like 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Like we, we thoroughly erased him. And I was, and so that was what piqued my curiosity. I said, Ooh, like a guy we hated so much. We erased him. I was like, I got to play that guy, except he was in his like fifties and sixties. So his son was kind of a spoiled brat from 1765 to 1776. He was 25 to 36. So I was, and so when I got hired at the foundation, I was 28. So I said, okay, I'll play the kid. I'll play Thomas Hutchinson III. So I won't play the governor himself. I'll play the spoiled kid. And so that way I'll walk around the freedom trail being like, my daddy lost all his stuff. And then I'd sing God Save the King and people would be delighted because you know, everyone wants to go out there with a minute man. And then I'd start my tour and be like, ha ha ha, God save the king. And people would be like, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we, we, so we had a lot of fun with it. And I really leaned into the character and I, I had a lot of fun playing this silly loyalist. We'd have, we'd have a lot of fun with it. That is super. I've gone on TripAdvisor and I've checked out that, that website for the Freedom Trail 
and uh, I've seen some really great reviews. If you want to give a shout out to the um, tour company you're working with right right now out of Cambridge, and uh, you know, nice shout out, nice uh, selfish plug. Oh, absolutely. So uh, I now work for Cambridge Historical Tours, owned and operated by Daniel Berger Jones, who's an absolute great guy. I've known him for years and years and years. And I'm very grateful that he brought me back to the Freedom Trail. And so, yeah, so that's where I work now. But yes, if you look on Yelp or TripAdvisor, if you look for Freedom Trail reviews and you search for Thomas Hutchinson, those are those are all me <laughs> just under <laughs> under my alter ego. But yeah, you can you can look me up there. You'll see recent reviews under my regular name. And then you'll see old reviews under my old character name. That is super. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, so let's, let's dovetail into your world of acting. If I remember correctly, I think it was maybe before COVID, you received some sort of award for a one-act play or performance playwright. Would you let our listeners know about that? So a few years ago, I started dabbling in writing a bit more. So I've been an actor for, I mean, it's what I went to college for. So I've been a professional actor for about 15 years now. Six, oh God, 16 years now, now that I think about it. What's interesting is that I have found that acting is really about telling other people's stories, but to really tell your own stories, you have to turn to writing. And I took this amazing seminar back in 2016 with this amazing local playwright named Melinda Lopez, who has this six-week course that she does called Actors Write Plays, which follows the kind of old business model that acting used to be, which was if you were an actor two, even 300 years ago, you had to write your own material. You know, there were no one was running around. There was no bookstore that you could go and just buy some new play. William Shakespeare wrote his own material. He was he was an actor and playwright, and then he had to write it for his own company. And so she set up this thing. She would teach actors to write material for themselves, which would not only help them grow as actors, but also would give them more material to work with themselves and possibly also have it produced as well because she started out as an actor. She found as she got older, there weren't as many opportunities for a you know Cuban-American actress like in her 30s and 40s. The opportunities started to dry up, so she created them. And she's been enormously successful doing that. And so she's passed on that knowledge and wisdom to others, which was amazing for me. And so I started dabbling mostly in 10 minute plays I, I really like the format of 10 minute plays so even shorter than a one act play but there are lots of 10 minute play festivals and things like that and one of the bigger ones even around the country like one of the more famous ones is the boston theater marathon which is 50 10 minute plays done in a 24-hour period and so during covid this so this was the 2021 theater marathon a 10 minute play that i had written was selected which was i mean it was a super big deal usually it's like there's a there's a pretty fearsome little playwriting community here in Boston. And so when my name popped up, people were like, what? Oh my God. So it was, a, <laughs> it was, it was a huge, it was a huge honor to be picked for that. The writing is relatively new to me, but I've been acting in commercials and plays and mostly musicals for 16 years in Boston. And what are some of those musicals you've performed in? Oh, wow. Let's see. I don't know what's easier. Should I start from the back and work my way forward or go the most recent. So the most recent things that I've done, I was very lucky. I was able to work every year of the pandemic. I was very lucky. Very, very few actors in this country were able to do that. And that was because the past few years, I've done an annual production of A Christmas Carol out in Worcester, Massachusetts at the Hanover Theater. So I did that for five or six years. Let's see, right before COVID, I was Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music, and I was in MAME at the Regal Music Theater. I was Gaston in Beauty and the Beast at Wheelock Family Theater. I was also the Music Man at Regal Music Theater in 2018. 
like some other some other shows I've done, I was Lord Farquaad in Shrek the Musical. I was John Wilkes Booth in Assassins. That was a rather that was a rather heavy one. I've been very lucky. I've probably done about 50 plays or musicals, probably somewhere between 50 and 60 plays or musicals in the past 15 years, which is a really good amount, like a a pretty healthy, decent career, at least pre-COVID was doing four shows a year was very good, successful amount of time to be working in Boston. I've been very fortunate. And of course, you know, things are still slowly coming back and things are still a little funky in the theater industry in this COVID post-COVID world we live in. So you know, so the, there's still some stuff going on there. Uh, I will be doing Clue at Greater Boston Stage Company in Stoneham starting next month. It's going to run through the month of June. So I'm going to be playing Professor Plum in that. But so things are starting to come back. I just finished up assistant directing a show in downtown Boston, Sister Act the Musical at Lyric Stage Company. So there is some theater stuff coming back, but it has definitely been a long road. And, you know, we're going to be dealing with the effects and after effects of the pandemic and everything that came along with it for years to come. Now, do you have any favorite roles you like to play you you sort of study for i what i love the most about acting is tackling what's new i usually don't try to repeat roles per se i mean we all have to work i'm not going to turn down a role just because it's something i've done before but for me it's i always just want to try something new i i love working with new people i love working at new theaters i mean that's what's so fun and engaging about the theater is that it's it's intense and live and temporary. It's, you know, it's, it's difficult to put into words, but it is very gratifying to be an actor. And I'm very lucky to be an actor. And so every once in a while, there's always like, there's new roles that will come across, you know, your desk and you think to yourself, hmm, okay, I can play that. Because also the thing is, you know, we, we all age. So some role that you were like, oh, I could never play that. That's for someone who's much older than me you know, all of a sudden 10 years go by and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I am old enough to play that role. Like I just had that experience. Um, There's going to be a production of a Sweeney Todd going on in Cambridge in November. And I was looking at it, thinking of auditioning for it. And I was like, ah, I can't audition for Sweeney. I'm too young. And I look at the breakdown and they say 35 to 40. And I'm like, wait a minute, I am 35 to 40. Oh no. I was like, I am old enough to play Sweeney Todd. So it's things like that, where you have to constantly be adjusting and like checking back in with yourself. Who am I now? You know, I'm not the same person I was 5, 10, 15 years ago. So new opportunities arise, some opportunities fall away. But for me, it's always about saying, what's next? What's the next challenge? What's the next hill to climb? I always, you know, that's that's the joy in acting is growing, learning, expanding, and staying curious. So for me, there's not necessarily, I mean, there are roles that I can think of that I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be so much fun to do. But anything that's a new challenge, anything that stretches me or anything that pushes me, that's that's usually what I'm chasing down. Now, have you ever done stand-up comedy? Not officially, no. I mean, I have worked extensively as an MC for a lot of different events, which has always required an element of stand-up comedy, but I've never gone into a comedy club and done, you know, a five-minute set. Stand-up comedy is one of the absolute hardest things to do in show business. Uh, I would have to put a lot of thought and effort to it. So it's not something I've ever pursued right now. I'm, I'm sticking to, you know, emceeing all the political events or emceeing a lot of theater fundraisers as well. I did a lot of that pre-COVID. I was, you would see me emceeing multiple different theaters in one year. Sometimes I was working at fundraisers at theaters that hadn't even hired me before. The audience was like, who's this guy? And I'd be like, hello. All that emceeing work is definitely coming coming in handy now. As a political spouse, the emceeing work is definitely coming in handy. 
Well, I, I've done work with various theater groups through the years. And when I was working in the world of concessions in the Boston market, and I would come across so many different actors and just speak, speak to them about what it, what it took really thrive and survive in, in the world of acting. And it's, it all boiled down to determination and just staying positive and just staying within yourself, but also being open to, to so many different roles out there. And it's something that really worked for them and seems to be working really well for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I do tell people a lot. The The business of acting is something that is often severely misunderstood because acting is one of those professions where everybody knows what it is. You know, you've seen a movie or, you know, you've gone to a play, you know what an actor is, but you don't know many actors. So if you ask someone, how many professional actors do you personally know? It's not common for people to know or have a personal friend who's like, oh yeah, they are an actor and that is something they pursue as opposed to a hobby or like community theater, which I am, which I have tremendous respect for community theater. In fact, I think that's what the theater is best for is building community for someone who does it as a profession. It's pretty uncommon. And I know that especially because I go to lots of functions and parties and events and people are like, what do you do? And I say, I'm an actor and they are universally baffled. They're like, no, no, no. But like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm an actor. And they're like, wait, really? And, you know, they I know they know what an actor is. They just don't know what an actor is who does it for a living. And it is very difficult. But one of the biggest misconceptions, Paul, and I'm so glad you said it, is that the the biggest determinant is determination. It is uh, whether or not you get up in the morning and you say, I'm going to be an actor today. I'm going to audition for things. I'm going to create opportunities for myself. I'm going to actively engage in this world. I mean, I have known... Over the past 16 years of my career, I can count dozens of enormously talented people who are not actors anymore because they decided they weren't actors anymore. It has nothing to do with your talent. It has to do with are you working hard for it and are you actively pursuing it? Because it is it is a very difficult business. It is a very difficult business and it's a ruthless business. And there are way more actors than there are jobs. And the jobs that do exist don't pay that well. So it can be very, it's it's a very, very difficult and challenging industry to work in. But like I said, it's one of the most gratifying there is. I mean, there's nothing else like it. I mean, sometimes, especially like a sta- stage parents don't want to hear that, that talent isn't, mm. <laughs> ta- talent right. isn't the thing that makes the difference. Talent's important, but it also takes, it takes a lot of discipline. It can definitely be a tough industry. That is super. Well, I thank you for sharing that wonderful history of what what you have experienced as an actor and your sage advice to all of our listeners out on this podcast. Thank you for that. As we've talked, I may have a story idea or a true story down the road for you to look at about that wayward priest who has been involved with, we'll say, misappropriation of money. We'll say, we'll call it Father Swindle if you will, but it's out there. Stay tuned. Check out PS and all marketing group for that down the, down the road, but that's uh, really great. So hopefully we'll be able to do something with that forthcoming. We'll say at a local theater near you, maybe who knows. 
Speaking of local theaters, being very adjacent to the prospective Malden Arts Center, the courthouse on Summer Street, and your role with the Malden Cultural Council, the Cultural Arts Council, as I think it's called, I think you're a co-chair. I'm forgetting the other co-chair's name. If you want to tell us about the Cultural Council. So, yes, I've been on the Malden Cultural Council since 2018, before Amanda became city councilor. I signed up for it because Mayor Christensen put out a tweet saying, you know, if there are any artists and you want to get involved, why don't you apply to the Cultural Council? And I had never thought of getting involved in government on any kind of level, but I thought, yeah, why not? I mean, I don't know how many professional artists actually are on the Cultural Council. I think I was appointed in June of 2018, so my term is almost done. We have term limits, actually. So I'm done as of June 2024. There are 11 of us. And we what we do is we distribute money from the state. So we actually have a very narrow mandate. So in Malden, we are very lucky that we have multiple arts organizations that promote the arts. One is Malden Arts. So if you're familiar with like the sculptures on the bike trail or the big Spirit in the Sky mural that you can see down on Exchange Street or any of the Frank Stella artwork that we've put up around the city. So that's Malden Arts. But the Malden Cultural Council, what we do is every city and town in the state gets a disbursement from the Mass Cultural Council, from the Massachusetts Cultural Council. And then our job is to take grant applications and then distribute that money to People either making art in Malden or living in Malden. And it's definitely very exciting. I was the co-chair for two and a half years. I was co-chair starting in the fall of 2019. And then after two and a half years, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, you know, I was I was like, I'm a smidge burnt out. Someone else can be co-chair now. So our two co-chairs now are Erga Puret and Sarah Radcliffe Mars are the two co-chairs of the Malden Cultural Council. It's a wonderful organization. Like I said, our mandate is very limited, but we can also serve as ambassadors going to events and things and letting people know that, you know, there is another source of funding out there that they can tackle. What's interesting is that the proposed art center at the old courthouse right next to Pearl Street, the Cultural Council actually hasn't had too much direct involvement in that. It's not really under our purview yet. There would have to be someone applying for a specific grant to the Malden Cultural Council for that. So Amanda has actually been much more involved in that than I have as the ward counselor, ensuring that the needs of the community are heard, making sure that like the steering committee reflected the community, making sure the steering committee was 50% BIPOC, making sure that the needs of artists are met. Because again, oftentimes, kind of like what I was saying about people think they know what acting is, but they've never done it themselves. In that way, Oftentimes when people talk about the needs of artists, they think, oh, they all need performance space. And it's like, actually, what we often need a lot is storage space, rehearsal space. And of course, like any other industry, the number one thing, especially in this area that working artists actually need is affordable housing. And so that's one of the things that never really gets talked about. So that's something that I'm always pushing is the idea of like live work studios, being able to build live work studios by right, kind of like what we have in Fort Point. If you've ever been to the open studios in Somerville, they have one of those old mills that they turned into artist studios. And there are like a hundred artists just making art in some abandoned factory. And it's like, that's fantastic. There There are definitely solutions for artists out there and Being on Malden Cultural Council means that you can be working within the system to make some of those things happen. The important thing with the Cultural Council in particular is to make sure that we're always elevating new voices. So if anyone's listening and they're a Malden resident and that seems like the kind of thing that you'd be interested in, 
please apply. Go to City Hall and apply to join the Cultural Council. There are always people coming on and off the Cultural Council. We have 11 members. So if it's something that you're interested in, please apply. We would love – we always need new voices on the Cultural Council. So if, if you've never been involved in government, if you're an artist and you've never thought that government was a place for you, then I would highly recommend you apply. That's a great plug to really get involved in the arts. That's super. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. And I believe we have some sort of development or something that is for artists, I believe, at the old convent at the Chevre School. I believe that there is an artist community over there that's housing the old convent of the Sacred Heart Church, I believe, over on Irving Street. I believe uh, there, there was something that was uh, put together, I think, with the former Malden Redevelopment Authority and the Arts Council. So that's oh, a really that's, great, great. That's housing. wonderful. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, this is the time to strike with the arts because artists have been thoroughly purged from Boston and Cambridge. At this point, the cities are completely unaffordable and Boston and Cambridge are struggling to keep any performance space, any rehearsal space. And we are very lucky. The biggest thing that I've recently learned about is I was at some studios. It's right near the police station and the owner happened to be there. And so he took me on a little tour, just a brief look at some of the studios. And Malden is very lucky to be jumping on this opportunity. I think he was saying, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but I think he said he started with 7,000 square feet and he's expanded to 50,000 square feet of recording studios and rehearsal spaces. And it's what what's happening over at some studios right now, at least what I saw, is exactly what the arts community needs right now. That is just not when you hear government leaders talking about the arts, there's a disconnect. They don't quite understand. You know, they think that what visual artists need is gallery space. And it's like, well, galleries are great, but I need some place to store everything I'm working on. If you deal with large visual arts, you need a large open space to work on it. So sometimes there's a disconnect between our political leaders talking about the arts and what artists actually need. And what's happening with some studios, Bob made a point of saying like how great working with the mayor has been and how Mayor Christensen gets it just being like, yeah, what do you need? We need more arts here. We want artists here. Fantastic. What do you need? And he's been able to rapidly expand and he's been able to just i mean he's doing incredible stuff over there so i got i got to get myself back over there so i can get a more in-depth sense of what's going on over there because i think there's some really exciting stuff going over at some studios i totally agree with you and i have had some interaction with with bob logan i believe bob is the director of the founder of some studios i know he's done a lot of work with faces brewery up in malden square he's done a lot of work with them and he's actually starting to do a little work with with us over at pearl street station restaurant and because we have a very large building and high ceilings he's taking a look at at how we could best deliver the sound to our our karaoke players to our our guests who are coming in to listen to opinionation trivia musical bingo whatever the case may be bob logan is is really very good i i think i'm pondering this and i think he may be a future guest for a paul ponders podcast down the road it's a nice shout out to some studios and we welcome them to malden and it's always great to hear that businesses are growing expanding and really just making it happen just seeing what a vibrant community Malden is for the arts and how it will continue to grow. Thank you for sharing that 
cultural council experience that you've had, but also the fact that, you know, you don't have a whole lot of tie-in as a council right now with what's happening at the Arts Center. And I applaud Council Amanda Mantone Linehan and, and Kevin Duffy and the mayor and, and other members of the committee for doing a great job in really just taking that, that wonderful building at 89 Summer Street and hopefully making it into an arts council, a, a arts center, and uh, really expanding upon that whole area of Malden, which could maybe be the local Malden Arts District one day, or uh, hashtag the West End Railway District. We'll, we'll have to uh, talk about that. Keep on hashtagging, just like <laughs> everyone hashtags Paul Pondas mm-hmm. and, uh, and all. But thank you for sharing that, Mark. So I, I think that we could go on and on on other things, but I want you to um, maybe leave us with some words of advice for any of our listeners who are out there who are thinking about going into acting, who want to maybe pursue it in college or in high school. What are some words of advice you would give those wannabe actors, those budding actors, those people who just want to be on stage? It's interesting when I'm talking to younger actors in particular, I'm now long enough in the tooth. This isn't my first time getting that question (laughs) and give advice to younger actors. Oftentimes what I try to tell them is I just try to tell them what the business really looks like. If you want to be a working actor, if you want to be someone who survives on paychecks that you get from acting, one of the first things that a lot of younger actors need to understand is that doesn't necessarily mean you're the star all the time. If you're in a musical with 30 actors, maybe five of those roles are considered leads and the other 25 aren't. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I've known a lot of actors in my day who were stars in high school. And then maybe they went on to be stars in college. And then they hit the boards, they started stomping the pavement, and suddenly realized, oh, I'm not going to be the lead in every play I do. I'm not going to be the star or the center of attention all the time. And it's like, well, if that's why you went into acting, then yeah, then you're not in the right profession. I mean, it's a craft like any other. Some of the most fun roles I've ever done was when I was in the ensemble. I'm definitely more of a leading man type. I tend to be more of like the comic sidekick in most shows that I do. I switch between being like the comic sidekick or the villain. I, sw- I go back and forth. The other thing that I, I really tell a lot of younger people, like you have to be very cognizant that your high school was a very small pond and your college was a very small pond. And even though the wider world, the American theater industry is also a pretty small pond. It's a lot bigger than where you came from. One of the weird things about theater that I've always found is as I find myself making connections and parallels with football a lot, I find of all the other professions, I find football is the most like acting in which you have to stay sharp all the time. Your opportunities will come up out of nowhere. Careers are very short and everybody knows what it is you do, but nobody knows anyone who actually does it for a job. One of the comparisons I would make was I tell people like, if you're the star in college, if you were the star at Emerson College and you're going out into the world and you're like, I'm going to be on Broadway, just remember that Tim Tebow was a star in college and Tom Brady kind of wasn't. And that example that I give is actually happens all the time. There was an article I read once that talked about the huge disconnect between success in college football versus success in the NFL and how it's almost opposite. The more successful you are in college, the more likely you're going to fail in the NFL. And how many Heisman winners are just fizzle out and go nowhere in the NFL, even though they won the Heisman. They can't succeed in the NFL. 
And then some guy from a D3 school who's just a talented offensive lineman, he's in the NFL for 15 years. I tell people that all the time, like with younger actors. The one thing I always tell younger, the shortest thing I always tell younger actors is when you graduate from college, you are 22 years old. The one thing about high school and college is when you're in high school, everyone in the production is between the ages of 14 and 18. And when you're in college, everyone in the show is between the ages of 18 and 22. So I had a lot of friends who had never once played their own age. They were always playing the teacher or the grandmother or, you know, the parents in a production. Because I'm so tall, I was always playing older roles in college. And then I graduated from college and was like, oh, that's right, I forgot. I'm 22 years old. I'm not going to play the dad or the grandfather for quite some time. Not to be cheesy by quoting Shakespeare, but... One of the most important things, especially with younger actors, is you've got to be true to yourself and you've got to find out what your thing is, who it is you want to be. If you allow other people to define you, you're going to get a bad teacher or a bad coach or even a well-meaning parent who doesn't know what they're talking about, who's going to say, oh, no, this is what you do. This is what you're good at. This is what you're bad at. And it's like, no, no one has the right to define you, especially when it comes to a profession as an actor where there's no separation between the personal and the professional. Do not let other people define you. You find your own voice. You figure out what it is that you do and then move forward from there. Because if you, if you go into the theater industry looking for definition, if you look, if you go to the theater industry looking for validation, it will just chew you up and spit you out. You need to know what it is that you're contributing to the theater industry and don't go into theater being like, you tell me what I'm good at. You tell me what I can do because they'll just take, 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 take. And you really got to keep a level head and it is tough, but also don't discount creating your own opportunities. A lot of people don't think that they can, they think it's, oh, I got to get cast in this role. This director is the one in charge of my career. No, they're not. Take control of your own opportunities. And there's some exciting stuff going on in theater because more and more things are not happening in New York. You know, a lot of the biggest shows on Broadway right now started in the middle of nowhere. They made a cast recording. They put it on Spotify. They built up a fan base. And then by the time the show made it to Broadway, it already had fans. You know, you see that with shows like Six the Musical. They didn't create something in New York. They created something somewhere else. And a lot of the actors who were in Six, they were not necessarily New York based at the time. Like they they had resumes that looked a lot like mine, you know, just jumping around the regional markets and doing summer stock and things like that. And then they got on the ground floor of a weird new piece and it became a huge Broadway hit. So stay weird, stay true to yourself and find your own voice. That is an absolutely fascinating, great bit of advice that you've given our listeners and all. And to parlay that pond analogy, if you will, we've all heard about sink or swim. If you don't have that determination that we talked about earlier, you will be sinking, but you will be swimming. Be swimming with with the sharks, maybe even appear in a Shark Week movie. I don't know, but it's it's something that, that really you will succeed with all those great core values, all those beliefs, and just making it happen in life and just not being the biggest fish in the pond. You're just going to keep on plugging away with determination and make it in the world of acting and in life. Mark, this has been an absolutely great, great episode. I thank you for your time and your your candid advice. At the top of the hour, we talked about anything goes. And we've covered a whole broad base of, of topics from your work as a tour guide, working on the Boston Freedom Trail, 
working with the Cambridge Tour Company, with that group, to your work as an actor, you work with the Cultural Arts Council, but also being a great husband, a great father. You do it all. So I thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. How could our listeners reach you if they have any questions about getting into acting or your next appearance at the Greater Boston Stage Company? How do they reach out to you, Mark, if you don't mind sharing that with our listeners? Oh, no, that's totally fine. You can always find me at marklinehan.com, mark at marklinehan.com. You can follow me on Instagram. My handle is linehan.mark, L-I-N-E-H-A-N dot M-A-R-K. Those are probably the easiest ways to connect with what's going on in the acting worlds. You can always find me on a Friday or Saturday night at Pearl Street having my prime rib. That's always the, that's always the easiest way to find me is to head on over to Pearl Street. You know I'm going to be there. Absolutely. Along with a fried ice cream for dessert for, for young Georgia. Absolutely. Indeed. That about does it for this episode. Mark, thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm just going to uh, sign off and let everyone know that this has been another great episode. I look forward to having people stop me on the street and say, wow, that episode with Mark Linehan was really great. He's a really cool dude. He's really a great guy and an actor. I think I'm going to go listen to him again on that podcast. going to rate it. I'm going to review it. I'm going to subscribe to hashtag Paul Ponders and psnallmarketinggroup.com. So until we meet again, everyone, I thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of hashtag Paul Ponders, hashtag Indeed. I trust that you have enjoyed hashtag Paul Ponders. Again, my name is Paul Solano of PS and All Marketing Group. And I may be reached via email at paul at paulponders.com to do some more pondering. Many thanks to my longtime collaborative friend and associate, Alonzo Amos of PodPro Entertainment, in bringing you our fun, exciting, informative podcast, You Rock, Techie Chalonzo. With PNS and All Marketing Group, I created a side gig to connect you and get things done. Please do not hesitate to reach out to me at paul at paulponders.com with any questions. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Paul Ponders. Follow us on Twitter at Paul Ponders Pod. Follow us on Instagram at Paul Ponders Podcast. Thank you again for listening to Hashtag Paul Ponders, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our website paulponders.com, or wherever you stream your podcasts subscribe stream rate and review our shows your ratings and reviews help our show reach new audiences produced by pod pro entertainment hashtag paul ponders lives within a network of podcasts located at podproentertainment.com hashtag the new radio until we meet again my friend stay well hashtag indeed